0: Second Kings chapter 17 and verse 13. If you're there, say, I am. I am. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law, not just the ones you like, that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants the prophets. But they would not listen as they were stiff-necked as their fathers, who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected His decrees and the covenant He had made with their fathers and the warnings He had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. And they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. In the middle of verse 15 is an amazing sentence. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Come over with me this morning to one more passage, and that's in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, and we're going to start reading in verse 21. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will see the land I promised on earth to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different Spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. I read a passage of scripture just recently that arrested my heart and caused me to begin developing a series of messages that I want to share with us all as a church family and the slots that I have over this month of April. And the sentence that I read in my reading of the scriptures was, They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. I want you to understand that this isn't even a statement that has been made by a man. It's not an observation. This is literally in the middle of this book a prophetic declaration. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. It struck me as I read this passage of Scripture that everything about our lives is determined by whom we choose to worship. Worship at the end of the day is the defining attribute of any person's life. It will always be the thing that separates them, that defines them, that makes them. As our life is played out, it is true that every person increasingly will reflect the object of their worship. In fact, the Bible says that if you are a worshipper of Almighty God, that your face is changed with ever-increasing glory from likeness to likeness. As we worship God, we become more like Him. But it's true, my friends, that whether you're worshipping God or worshipping something else, you will always gravitate in the direction of your worship. Our lives will be defined by our worship. Uh, If we worship God, we become more like Him. If we worship something else, we become like the thing that we worship. And here in this passage of Scripture, the Bible literally says that they worshipped, sorry, they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. In other words, your worship determines your worth. Your value, what you value, determines your value. What you follow will determine what you become. And my friends, this passage of Scripture is literally saying that because what they followed, what they worshipped, what they sought after was worthless, it determined the worth of their own lives. So our worship determines our worth. Now, man, this is both incredibly challenging and incredibly encouraging. Because it doesn't matter what family I come from. It doesn't matter what kind of education I did or did not have. It doesn't matter what kind of material wealth I have. That's not my worth. At the end of my life, even though I have house, boat, car, you know, travel one big Wednesday, at the end of the day, none of that goes into the next life with me. It is not my real worth. But what you worship determines your worth. So it's encouraging, but man, on the flip side, church, how many people know that's challenging? Because if I don't worship the right thing, then it's having an impact on the worth of my life. If you worship God, then it will increase your worth. If you worship something else, it will decrease your worth. People sitting there going, man, that's a challenging statement, but let's stay with it because in this sermon, I reckon people are going to leave this building knowing that their worship determines their worth. Everything about life is about worship. How many people know that when God calls for our worship, it's not because it's good for God? God's not an egomaniac up in the sky going, I really need some people to give me a bit of love. He's not sitting up there going, man, I'm really a little bit insecure. Am I really the deity? Am I really the supreme power of the universe? How about we get a little few sycophants to gather around me? You know, like a despicable me kind of situation. Everyone's kind of bowing down, you know, or, you know, those little, what's it, the toy story. They got little one-eyed monsters. You say it does. You say it does. And God's not, God's not that creature up there, you know, looking down going, yes, I need somebody with one eye." God doesn't call for our worship because it's good for God. In fact, look at this another way. Whether you worship God or don't doesn't change anything about God. But listen, man, it's not good for God when we worship Him. But put it another way, it is crucial for us that we worship God because whether we worship God or not changes nothing about God. But whether we worship God or not changes everything about us. So, God calls for our worship, not that it's going to have any impact on Him whatsoever, but it is going to have a literally life altering impact on us, on our worth, on our lives, on what is possible for us. I want you to understand that God is the supreme power of the universe. He is the creator of the world. There is none higher than Him. That our God is the highest, there is none higher. Now I want you to understand that every person has potential in their lives and it's either low or high what we achieve in our lives. And the Bible is saying that when you follow worthless idols, you become worthless. Flip it on its head. When you worship the one who is the greatest, then you're setting your life on a direction towards your personal greatest. Whoa. So what you worship determines your worth. The greatest level that any person can ever achieve in life is to become like Jesus. Don't let it ever fool you. Don't ever let yourself be deluded into thinking that something else is of equal or greater value. The highest height you can ever achieve in your life is Christ-likeness. People think that the greatest thing they can achieve is an easy lifestyle, material wealth, equity. You know, maybe it's just, you know, uh, uh, the right woman of your dreams, the right man. But the greatest joy in life is to become more like Jesus. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Your worship determines your worth. Somebody sit in this room saying, but I don't worship. No, no, no. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. We just define it in the wrong category. In fact, when I began a couple of weeks ago to tell people I'm going to do a series over the month of April about worship, people thought that I was referring to the songs that we were singing this morning. That is worship. That is obviously worship, but in no way encompasses the entirety of worship. In fact, really all it is, is just our corporate expression. It's like the tip of our worship. It is not the substance of our worship. In fact, flip it on its head, if you think that a life of worship towards God is simply to lift your hands in a service like this and has no impact in the way you live your life, then I'm telling you right now, the God of the universe is not receiving your worship. What you do on a Sunday has no impact on the way He thinks or feels about you, has no impact on the way that you live your life, because worship is far more than just what we sing in a song on a Sunday. Worship is about what you value. It's about what you want to become. Everybody wants to become like something. Everybody has an ideal. Everyone has supreme value put next to something in their lives. And whatever that thing is, is the object of their worship. I want you to understand this morning, church, that we were designed for worship. The very fact that we are not God, by very nature says, if I am not God, I am designed to worship Him. Because that's the way it goes. I either am Him or I exist to worship Him. So as we start to think about worship in our lives, we're gonna understand that there is a part of us that is designed. If you are not God, then worship is part of what you need. And worship will be something that you always do, whether it's towards God or something else. Worship is about everything in our lives. Let me break it down for you. What you emulate is worship what you emulate. In other words, what you you are looking at, what you are copying, what we are trying to become in our lives, whatever we are copying, trying to become, whatever we are emulating, looking up to, aspiring to become like, this is the object of our worship. And listen, no person's an original i never forget Winky Prattney when I was a youth pastor told a story about being, uh, you know, in uh, Texas where he he lived and and he came out of his house one day and in in America where where he was, they didn't have school uniform. And so they were, you know, the the, the school students were all heading off to school and Cindy Lauper had just put out a, a new music video. And in the music video, she had her hair done up in the air like Marge Simpson and she had a really short miniskirt and she had high heels. And Winky Bratton, he said, he came out the door of his house to kind of get the newspaper and all these girls are going to school and every single one of them has got their hair up and like Marge Simpson, has got high heels on, which, you know, my daughter is never gonna wear high heels in school. And, uh, and has got a, a short miniskirt on and they're walking down the street to school and he says to them, he says to them, listen, he says, why are you all dressed the same? And they said, because we want to be different. And, and the very thing is that, listen, I mean, you know, in our culture, there's a lot more people looking like those teenage girls than we ever are willing to give credit. I'm not, I'm not trying to emulate anybody, but the, that's actually when you break it all down, that person's got something that they want to become like. They've got something that they're copying, some ideal. Their ideal is not to be like the other ideal, but you're just like the kids following Cindy Lauper. Everybody is trying to emulate something. Why? Because we were designed for worship. So emulation is part of our makeup. So ask yourself the question, what are you copying? Because whatever we emulate in life is the object of our worship. That's why the greatest aspiration for any person is to become more like Jesus. Because that's worship of the Almighty God. The second thing, what you bow down to is worship. In fact, the most often translated Hebrew word that we use for our word worship, and most often in the Bible, it's a phrase that literally means to bow down, to literally bow before, to kind of recognize, to submit to, to recognize as being over. And this is what it means to be a worshiper. And when I think of bowing down, you can't think about it for very long without thinking about Daniel. Because in our culture, the truth is, my friends, everybody's bowing down to something. It's not just Daniel. Daniel had the advantage of a literal statue that he was commanded to bow down to. But somebody in this room is being asked to bow down to moral compromise. Somebody's being asked to bow down to the almighty dollar. Someone's being asked to bow down to pressure or to circumstance. And there is always, see, Daniel is, signifi- is so significant in the Bible because when everybody else was asked to bow down, Daniel understood something so powerful about worship. Singularity. He said, I will not bow my knee before anything other than the real God. The only thing that gets me on bended knee is God. Now listen, in our modern age, in our 21st century, for every young person, this this is a novel concept, to think that worship requires singularity. The only thing I bow down to, this this society in which we live has got no problem with you having like a, 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 a you know a, a charm bracelet and you've got your little Jesus cross, but then you've also got your dollar little symbol and you've also got your, you know, let's all be fit and healthy one and let's all wear the latest clothes and man, let's be concerned with what our friends think about us and let's make sure we've got the right job and, and you know, putting all the little things. Society's got no problem with you saying, well, do that and do everything else. But when you say, I serve God, And even if my friends don't want me to, if somebody asks me to bow, if my boss says lie about this for this report, then there's something powerful when you say, my worship has to be singular. It doesn't matter what you ask me to do, I will not bow down to anything else. The name of Jesus will be over everything I do in my life. Every decision, every action. Every attribute, the name of Jesus is over all. This is what it means to worship. Worship determines your worth because when a person refuses to bow to popular opinion, to peer pressure, to circumstantial pressure, at that very moment, it is determining the worth of that person and of their character. Daniel earned the sentence of death for his refusal to bow and worship to anything but God. But how many people know the sentence of death became the fragrance of life. And the entire kingdom of Babylon, which by the way, conquered the then known world, received a letter from Nebuchadnezzar saying, I tried to kill Daniel and God wouldn't let me do it and the God that Daniel serves is the real and living God, and every other God is a false God, and let no one mess with his God. How many people know Daniel's worth increased when he refused to bow to anything but Jesus? Come on. It doesn't matter what tries to make you bow. If you refuse to bow, you are of increasing worth in your life. They follow worthless idols and themselves became worthless. The next one, what you idolize is worship. What you idolize. See, commandment number one, we all know it. You shall have no other gods before me. But how many people know number two? We all do as well. You shall not make for yourself an idol. To idolize is to worship. It's just to have God and then some other form, some other structure, some other thing. And the moment that we idolize, we split our worship. And the Bible says they followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Literally, they're saying, well, okay, we recognize there is a God, but also we recognize that these other things are pretty important as well, have a determining influence as well. There may be a real and living God, but there is also a sun, and whether the sun shines or not is is important. And they made for themselves an idol. And God says, no, no, no. Not only shall you have no other gods, recognize me as supreme being, but number two, you shall not have an idol. I am the one who determines your life. I open the doors, I close them. I advance your life and I hold it back. I am the one who elevates one and pulls down another. I am your God. And he says, when you follow a worthless idol, you become worthless. And people are going, ouch, Cameron, could you just ease up on me a little bit here? But God is looking for our worship. The God you, make, God you make credit at the center, but the idol is the thing that has the casting vote. Everybody say, ouch. Number three, what you aspire to be is worship. Capity, a lifestyle on the Capity Coast can be an aspiration, can be the consuming passion of your life to just have what you need to have this deal. But what you aspire to be is worship. Aspiration is worship, set in the ultimates. What's the highest height you can get to? This is why in our 21st century culture, the church should never be apologetic about saying that a celebrity culture is a low culture. Come on, let's call a spade a spade. The reason why I think a celebrity culture is so low is that the Cardassians, the Hiltons, the Simpsons. I'm not talking about the cartoon one, I'm talking about Jessica. Come on. Reality TV shows that, you know, immortalize people who've done nothing of any worth, substance, or good. They were just stupid enough to let a cameraman follow them around all day, and suddenly their net worth in the world's eyes begins to increase because. They have this little thing called celebrity status. And man, the day that any culture buys into that and says, well, this is what we're making the aspiration of our culture, it just becomes a low society. A friend of mine was in a prayer meeting many years ago and, uh, and with a bunch of pastors and, and a kind of a retreat environment. And the guy was running it, Pastor Phil Pringle, who I just love and who's from right here in the Wire Rapper and uh, where Deb's from and and Masterton, was, was uh, in the room and the, the interviewer, the kind of, not the interviewer, the pastor leading it said, I want you to take a moment and I want you each to write down on a piece of paper what you aspire to be in life. Now, a bunch of pastors, so obviously they've got some pretty good things. You know, one's like, I want to build, you know, an influential church that changes my city. I want to change a nation. I want to proclaim the gospel everywhere. And they're going through all of these aspirations of different people. And, you know, I don't have the names of every person. But what I do know is that there is one who has achieved a peculiar amount of significance in his life. And it'd have to be Pastor Phil. Pastor Phil Pringle, it gets to Pastor Phil and they had to read out what they had on their piece of paper. And Pastor Phil just says, my aspiration in life is to become more like Jesus. And man, obviously he's an artist and he's got cool answers and I probably wouldn't have that kind of cool answer myself if I was one of the other pastors. And I'm sure they're all like throwing their piece of paper on the ground and going, oh, Pastor Phil, you're just a smart aleck, you know. But there's gotta be a a reason well, they've been able to start hundreds of churches and nations around the world. And it's got to be the fact that someone's saying, I don't want fame and I don't want, you know, I don't want influence. I don't, I don't want, I don't want just the house, the boat, the car, the bike. I don't want just a bunch of sycophants. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. And any person who says my aspiration is to become more like Jesus is going to increase in their worth because your worship Determines your worth. The next one, what you serve is worship. In fact, the two most common phrases in the Bible for worship are either to bow down or to serve. And the word serve means to be made a slave. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes in the New Testament, he uses an awesome word in the New King James Bible about his life. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. He's literally saying a bondservant means somebody who doesn't have to be a servant. You choose to be a servant. And the word phrase bondservant literally means of my own volition, I am a slave to my master. And that's why his life counted for such a significant amount And the moment you say, I am a slave to Jesus, how many people know the slave to Jesus is of greater worth than the king who is independent from Jesus. The president who is independent from Jesus is of less worth than the bondservant of Jesus because what you serve is worship. You with me this morning, church? It is actually an expression of our worship, what we choose to serve. Number four, uh, So in the next one, I don't know what point we're up to, but the next thing, whatever it is, whatever number you want to put next to it, just go for it. But the next one, how you choose is worship. I don't know how I can accurately, and over this month, we're going to have a few Sundays, we can tackle this, but I want you to understand that worship is just so much more than hands lifted on altar calls. It's so much more than slow songs and a worship leader with muted, you know, uh, 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 lighting in the house and, you know, a beautiful melodic keyboard in the background and a whoa. You know, it it is so much more than that. But worship is about how you choose. That's worship. The fact that God comes into it. You know, when you go up to the movies and you're standing there and looking, there's 12 choices and you're at Reading Cinemas and Courtney Place or reading in the Capity Coast with his, you know, three choices, but here in Wellington 12. <laughs> and as you're standing there in front of the chicken and you're buying your, your, your ticket and you look up and you see one movie and you see another, what, what comes into your head? The framework of your choice. That's worship. Worship. The fact that I choose not to see one movie that's filled with sex scenes or filled with, you know, just unbelievably gratuitous violence when I, when I choose not to see that in favor of something else it's not just because John Cameron thinks it it's because I am a worshipper of almighty God the fact that there could be other options that come into your life second you know second choices around marriages or whatever not that it's ever been a thing for me but I'm, because my wife's just so oh. um, but you know, when you choose singularity, that's, that's not just a choice, that's worship. On the bad days, the choice to praise God is worship. That's why, that's, why, that's why Job began the book of Job as the most wealthy man in the world and finishes the book of Job with twice the, the, the physical, I'm talking about the material now, Twice the net wealth that he had at the beginning of the book of Job. So he's already the most wealthy man in the world. At the end of the book of Job, he's got twice the amount of money that he had then. In other words, no one can catch up to Job. But how many people know the reason why was not because of his money, but because of his choices around worship? But because when it was all taken away from Job, he falls to his knees and he says, the Lord gave, the Lord take away. Naked I came, naked I go. And in the middle, may the name of the Lord be praised. And the choice, the choice, the choice to worship increased His worth. I want you to understand that everything about life comes back to worship. It's all worship. God is wanting our whole lives as worship. In fact, Ben read it in our offering here this morning. That's why I know the Holy Spirit is speaking. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, when everything you do in your life can be done in the name of the Lord Jesus, your worship is complete. Not when you can lift your hands up, but when you say, God, you're happy with the way I got out of bed today. God, you're happy with the way I treated my wife today. God, I can say that I parented my children in the name and through the name of the Lord Jesus. When when the way I prioritize my finances is in line with what Jesus wants, God is wanting us to get to a point where everything we do, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is worship. Romans 11 verse 36, for from Him... And through him and to him are all things. In other words, everything is about God, and everything is about worship. Bob Dylan said, "You're going to have to serve somebody." And I discovered this the other day that all the teenagers in our church sit there and go, "Who's Bob Dylan?" It's all worship. Bob Dylan said, "You've got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, and it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, because all of life is about worship. And my friends, God wants us to understand that our worship determines our worth. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. Now listen, Jesus died for you and for me. How many people know God only had one son? The one thing of value to God in all the world, apart from you and me, was His Son. And if Jesus died for you and I, then there is not a worthless person hearing my voice this morning. You are not worthless. You are by very nature priceless. Everything else in this world will pass away, but you will remain forever. You are valuable. You are precious. You are of great value to God. Now listen, the children of Israel came up out of Egypt. They came up out of Egypt where for 400 years, They had been in slavery to the nation of Egypt. The Egyptians would not let them go. God sent great plagues upon the land of Egypt. And by God's great deliverance, a nation of people, three million people, that's like the greater portion of our country, came up out of Egypt into the wilderness after hundreds of years of slavery. How many people know that they had grown up in slavery? Slavery is all they had ever known. Slavery was all they had ever experienced. They had never reaped a crop and kept it that never worked and got profit from their work, that never experienced compound interest, that never left and they couldn't leave an inheritance to the generation that was to follow. Whether they were good or bad made no difference, they were still a slave. That They'd never been able to determine choices, never had independence, never experienced you know, the adolescent process of assuming more responsibilities. They were just slaves, slaves, slaves for generations and by the miraculous hand of God. God, the people of Israel were set free. Just like every person who's ever been enslaved to passions, enslaved to addictions, enslaved to a past, enslaved to some kind of debt, when you come to know Jesus, your slavery is ended and you're set free, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. Somebody give God praise this morning that He sets a prisoner, a slave free. They came up out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness. And God says, listen, you are not a worthless nobody. You are in fact my precious people, my chosen people. I have destined you to have this land called the land of Canaan. Our Hamilton guys like to say that it's the Waikato because it flows with milk and honey. Maybe it's Taranaki. I personally find that hard to believe, but anyway. (laughs) Today, it will be milk, honey, and oil. But anyway, maybe it is Taranaki. But anyway, they came up out of the land of Egypt, and God said, you're supposed to make a three-month trip across the wilderness on the way. I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. But then you're going to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They reached the edge of the Jordan. God's chosen people. But along the way, they had been unable to let go of the idols and other gods that they had followed along the way as they had made their journey up out of Egypt. See, when you have been subjected to something, it's hard to separate your self-worth from the subjugation of your life. It's very hard because you make observations. The people who oppressed us had these values. The moment you say the people who oppressed us had these values and these values were part of their success, you worship what they worship. You have to understand that at every level, God is saying, I am your God. I am the only one. Would you draw near to me? Nothing determines your life but me. You go through the valley of the shadow of death. But if you will walk with me, then I will bring you out. I will always bring you out. I've always got a tomorrow for my people. And they came up out of Egypt. They reached the edge of the Jordan River and into the promised land, they sent 12 spies. Your worship determines your worth. Ten spies walked around in the environment where God wanted them to be, but all they could see around them was giants and obstacles. They'd been eating manna. God had been providing for them, but the thought that they could plant their own crops, which is kind of risky, and bring in a harvest seemed beyond their realm of expectation. They couldn't believe that they could be profitable, that they could grow, that they could increase, that God would favor them in their own energies. They had never reaped a crop, never kept it for themselves, never left an inheritance from one generation to the next. And so when they looked at the nations that were around them, what they saw was in the land of Canaan, their demise, their destruction, that the hand of God would lift off their life and they would be defeated. But two spies we're standing with them. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. And the Bible says that when the 12 spies return, the 10 proclaim doom and destruction and the two proclaim blessing and favor. And the two say the Lord is with us and He is not with them. His hand is lifted off them and His hand is with us. And then God comes along and He says, Of all those that chose to believe that I was not with them, they will never enter my promises. But my servant Caleb has a different spirit. Because he follows me wholeheartedly. Now when you read this passage of Scripture, maybe you've missed what God is actually saying in this passage, because the Hebrew word for this word follow is literally the word occur. It says A-C-H, the word different is the Hebrew word occur, A-C-H-E-R. It means next. It literally means when it says different, it says he has a a different spirit. The word occur means he has a, a next spirit. Or he has a spirit that is, that is following, that is coming after, that is following after. He says, this guy has got a spirit that doesn't live where he lives. His spirit lives somewhere different. He has a next spirit, a different spirit. Everybody else has got a spirit that has been defined by their circumstances, by their pressures, by their situations. Why? Because they bowed down to their pressures, because they served their situations, because they allowed themselves to emulate the nations that were around them, because they aspired to have what the Egyptians have, some leeks and some onions. But Joshua and Caleb said, we don't want what they've got. We don't want what they've got. We we don't desire to become like them, but we are gonna choose whether it's good for me or bad for me. Whether you threaten me with the fiery furnace or whether you crown me with abundance, you will never get my worship. My worship only goes to the Lord most high. Him only will I serve. If you slay me, yet will I praise Him. Even if He will not, we will never bow to the gods that you have erected. We will only ever worship you. You get my worship. Come on, somebody. God alone gets our praise. And then God said, because of their choice, they have a different spirit. Their body is the same. But the word is akur, A-C-H-E-R. That is a different, a next, a following after spirit. Because He follows me wholeheartedly. The word follows in the Hebrew is a word A-C-H-A-R. Akur and akar are twin words in the Scripture. And it literally says His Spirit doesn't live where His body lives. And the reason why is because His worship was not towards me, not towards His circumstances, not towards Egypt. His worship was following after me. His worship, the word akar literally means hind. It says He's coming after me. His worship lifted His spirit from His circumstances to where I am. So when He walks into blessing... He doesn't see it as being impossible, too hard, that He's unworthy of it. He's not pronouncing doom over His life. He doesn't see destruction around the corner. No, because He understands that I am the Lord. I am the Lord most high. And not only am I the Lord most high, but He is the pinnacle of what I have made. He wasn't the tail. He was destined to be the head. He was never supposed to be beneath. He was always destined to be above and His worship elevated His worth. And church, I want you to understand that your worship determines your worth. When you worship God, it increases your value. Give God your all, never fear it. Never bow to another source. Never feel like you're going to be destroyed if you ever bend your knee or if you ever, if you ever know that if you only ever give God your worship, your life, it might not every day be peaches and cream and tiptoeing through tulips, but if you will serve the Lord your God, then He will crown your years with abundance. He will bless your future. He will compound your life. He will bring you forward.